This is Chris Gardner of the Houston Round Ball Review, speaking with Maria Cornelius, who I've known for a few years, but now she is um, at 247sports.com. You're freelancing. You're an author. you got a lot on your plate. Maria, how are you? I'm doing well, Chris. I appreciate you asking me to do this. I'm happy to be here. Um, let's see. I think we were touching on and trying to figure out where we when we first met, and I think we agreed on 2005 Final Four uh, Indy because Tennessee was in that, and I was there. I think for Baylor as well, so that kind of makes sense. How long have you covered yes. uh, Tennessee Lady Balls, Tennessee sports? I started in 1998 when Pat Summit was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. That was when I first started writing about the Lady Vols, and at the time I was at the Knoxville News Sentinel, the local newspaper here. And I, I think a few years after that, I found your your writing because I also, I mean, Tennessee, Pat Summit, legendary coach. Even though I'm Houston-based, club women's basketball had to keep up with national teams and stuff. So I think I, that's where I first, somewhere along there, when I first began reading your work. How long were you there working? I was at the New Sentinel until 2002, and I was actually on the news side. I was a desk editor, metro editor, or assistant night editor, actually, and then assistant managing editor for nights. And I ended up covering the Sports Illustrated cover because it was going on page one. It broke late on a Tuesday afternoon, and sports needed some help. And I walked in the door to start the night shift, and people looked at me and said, you got to reach Pat Summit. She's on the cover of Sports Illustrated. So I sort of fell into it. And at that point, it became a side thing. The Internet was just now starting to come about, so I started writing a column for KnoxNews.com. I provided what they call, you know, the color stories, the page one stories, not the sports side but the fans and the atmosphere for our Final Four coverage when the Lady Vols would, would be at the Final Four. So, of course, that started in 1998 because they went to Kansas City. Mm-hmm. So that's that's sort of how I fell into it and then ended up working as a uh, writer for – it was Rocky Top News and then Scout and then part of, part of Fox Sports and then Inside Tennessee, and now it's, of course – under the umbrella of 247 Sports. So that's what I do on the side. I keep freelancing and writing about the Lady Balls. How much time do you have to freelance? How much of an impact in the change from, you know, the advertising, how newspapers have had to change and adapt to the Internet and coverage? How much of an impact has it had on you and what you do? For me, it's not really much of an impact. I have a full-time job. I, I'm the writer-editor for a PR firm uh, called Moxley okay. Carmichael. It's been, uh, it was founded by a woman, Cynthia Moxley, in 1992, so it's, it's over 25 years old. She's a former newspaper colleague who I knew, and she, in 2013, wanted a writer-editor, kind of a copy desk for the firm because we do everything, news releases, websites, communication plans. We'd, we're a full-service communications firm, and okay. she wanted quality control. And, and one, that's one thing, as you know, newspapers have lost their copy desk. And she said, I need someone in here who knows this town and, and knows how to write, knows how to edit. So that's what I do full-time. And then the freelancing, I just do on my own. And uh, it's something I'm, I'm committed to. I, mean, I, I basically work seven days a week, but it's not because anybody asked me to, it, it's because I want to. How long covering Lady Vols since 1998? Name some of the players that you've covered, you know, Lady Vol players you covered in that time. In term, in 1998, of course, everybody thinks about that undefeated team, the Kelly Jolly and, and the three Meeks, Shamiko Holtzclaw, and Samika Randall and Tamika Catchings. Some people forget about that the, the fifth starter was LaShonda Stevens, and, and people sometimes for, forget about LaShonda. But, I mean, she was she was the starting center on those teams. And then Teresa Jeter 
would come in and and so that was my introduction i mean i was obviously had been in knoxville since 1988 so i was fully aware of who the lady vols were but in terms of being around the coverage that would have been the first team i covered and then i continued doing it just you know on, on the side of the newspaper job and then i ended up going full time writing about them in 2004 and that was of course our 2004-05 season and that was of course when the famous class of 2004 arrived with Candace mm -hmm. Parker and Alexis Hornbuckle and let's see that six pack Alexis Hornbuckle Alex Fuller Candace Parker Nikki Anasike and uh Shade Gate, uh, Wiley Gatewood, and uh, Sybil Dosti. I think I've got it right for that first six, first six pack. Of, of two, yeah, those, those were the first six, and then of course, Shade Wiley Gatewood would transfer to Maryland. Sybil Dosti transferred to, I believe, Arizona State, and I think that's the right. two, mm -hmm. the two JUCO transfers, of course were Shanna Bobbitt and Alberta Gusty. Mm -hmm. So then Shannon I Bobbitt all but five to two over something like that, right? Yeah. Yeah, they don't win a national championship without her. And then of course the, you know, all the teams subsequent to that, you know, Angie B. Orkland and, and Glory Johnson and Shakina Strickland, you know, another another top class, Brianna Fass, Sierra Burdick, Izzy Izzy Harrison, Andrea Carter, they're just, I mean, just, just so many, so many great, great players have, have come through. And, and um, I guess the biggest benefit is watching hours upon hours of, of a Pat Summit practice. I, I learned more in, in one hour of watching her conduct a practice than I probably did in anything in my whole life, playing sports or being around sports. So. She would invite media into the film session sometimes. Hey, you want to come take a look and hear what we're up to? You know, it would it would be off the record because she may be going right. over the whole scouting plan. She you know she trusted we weren't going to go out there and write what exactly what Tennessee was going to do. But and, and from Pat's point of view, we wrote better stories if we had more information. So she would look at Dan Flesser. He was the beat writer for the New Sentinel, who covered mm -hmm. Pat for I mean. Thirty uh, more than thirty years, and just say, "Hey, you guys, come on in, come on in, and take a take a look at what we're doing." So you can imagine a, a, just a twenty minute film session with Pat Summit, how much you're going to learn about basketball. That's that's one of the things that made her who she was, such a special coach, person, woman. Because I I've had you know I've covered teams for a while. I don't recall being a, being invited to see a film session, you know. So that was definitely a treat. So and, and uh, that was her approach. She saw the media as people who could help her program, and you don't see mm -hmm. that with big time coaches. They they are paranoid of the media. They don't want their well, we don't trust them, or we don't want them around. Pat opened the door. Come watch my practice. You need to talk to one of my players. Set it up. I mean, she Pat never said no. She never didn't say no to an interview request. She she uh she realized that the media she needed the media to promote her program and even after it got so big, she didn't change her policies. She kept she kept access as open as she could. And I, I got that sense because I and we can talk about this for sure. But I definitely want to ask you about the final season, the the book that you wrote about uh, the last year. Uh, Coach Summit at Tennessee. What was that like? What was the experience? How did that first come about? Did I mean, was did you come up with the idea, or who kind of? How did it come about? I just really want to start right there. <laughs> That's a great question, and I would love to say, oh yeah, I thought about it the whole time. In the middle of it, you're not even thinking about it, and I didn't think about it, and I think part of it was the shock of what what had occurred, and also. The focus immediately was day to day. We, you know, we've okay covered this practice and, and try to keep everything in perspective. And 
and I mean, there was just a, so it was so busy as a writer because so many people are sending me emails or texts or messages on social media. How is Pat? What's going on? I know you know how is Pat really doing? And and so it was just sort of like as Pat would say that left foot right foot breathe. I think that was especially true for her players. I mean that that mm. was just a brutal thing for 18 to 22 year olds to deal with it was especially true for her staff and then all the peripheral people around it you're just literally trying to get trying to cover each day and sally jenkins at the time already had her book to sum it up it was already in progress and work and the deadline for the book got moved up i believe a year to where it was going to be published in uh, march of 2013, so it would have been one year after Pat had to retire, and that same timing of February of 2013, I had to, I had breast cancer that was diagnosed in December of 2012, so in February of 2013, I had a double mastectomy, and Sally Jenkins was aware of this because I had put some social media posts and had eventually, you know, because I was going to have to be away for a little while from the from the game for about a week to recover, so I was not able to cover a couple Lady Vol games. And Sally, I got out of the hospital on a Saturday. It was, uh, I believe, February at the surgery, February fifteenth, and I got out on February sixteenth. And Sally, had, she had come into town. She had advanced copies of her book. So this is February of two thousand thirteen. And she had come into town to visit Pat. Mm-hmm. And she said, I know you're in the hospital. When you get out, swing by Pat's house, and I'll give you an advanced copy of the book, something you can read, you know, while you're getting better. Because at that point, you're on mandatory, you know, rest. You can't drive right. or leave the house. or. And so I read the book, I mean, quickly. Because, I, I mean, it, one, it was a fantastic book. And two, I was at home. And... I wrote a re, a review of the book for it at this time it was inside Tennessee and I mean just a fantastic book if if you want to know about Pat Summit to her core read Summit up by Sally Jenkins and I wrote that it was clear at the end that Sally had to rush through that last season because she's on a deadline that got moved up by at least a whole year and she's hurrying to get through that season and I noted in the review that I did that 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 final season had to be it was at the end of the book and had to be you know rushed you know rushed to cover that, and that it probably deserved a whole book of its own and Sally Jenkins okay. sent me a a message and said, "You're absolutely right. I wasn't there. you were you write it and I thought, well. There's a thought. <laughs> so that's how the book came about. And then I got into you know the world of book proposals, and I mean that's a that's a it that took um almost four months I think. I mean, the proposal was like ten pages long because you got to sell the book and the idea, and it's a, obviously a good sell, but or a good it's a good proposal, but a major book about Pat has just come out. But UT Press, the University of Tennessee Press was intrigued by the idea and we ended up I ended up signing signing a contract with UT Press and and then would and then wrote the book. And that's how uh the final season the perseverance of Pat Summit came into print. And it's it it is a very good book. I read it. Thank I you. I am not a book reader. I probably like I should, but the older I've gotten um, I read I read articles, you know, maybe magazine stuff. But in terms of books, I don't read books. But because of Pat Summit, because of you, I ordered that book. I might have even pre-ordered it. I don't know. But yeah, I read that book, and and, uh, and it's an excellent book. You know, bravo to you on the writing and how you covered it and dealt with the entire season. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate that. I appreciate that a lot. You're welcome. Just briefly, what was it 
about Coach Summit that she impacted so many people. I don't I don't know. I haven't come across anyone directly, uh, you know, in person. I've not heard anyone say a bad thing about Coach Summit. You know, obviously the coaching part, she's dedicated, she's a coach, the stare, all those kind of things. But as a woman, as a person, as a human being, never a negative word. What was it about her that impacted so many people? I mean, you characterized it perfectly. Um, most people, most famous people that well-known, when they pass away, there is a yeah, but in their obituary. Because most people have some kind of checkered something in their past. They may have done great things, but there ends up being a yeah, but. There's no yeah, but with Pat Summit. Part of it was she was so genuine. Part of it was she was she was so driven. I've never encountered a force of nature like Pat Summit in my life ever, and I, mm-hmm. I don't think I ever will. But she would could also immediately turn that intensity down and be one of the most down-to-earth people you could ever talk with. I mean, you, you could watch her just verbally tear a player apart in practice. I mean, most, most adults couldn't handle it. These 18, 19, 20-year-old kids are got their feet planted and looking straight at her and, and dealing with it. And then after absolutely going crazy on a player, after practice ends, she's got her arm around the player. Well, tell me how you're mm-hmm. doing. How's your mama? You know, and the player would just be like, my God, I thought you were going to kill me an hour ago. And now you're standing here asking me about my mama. I mean, that she, she was, she could just, she could do that. She could be that fierce coach. And then as soon as practice was over, she was back to being, being like a mama to you or, or being a, not, not like a friend. I mean, she would, she became friends with players. Of course, after after they graduated, but these Pat said, you know, I'm not here to be the friend. I'm their coach. Mm. And but she had such a wonderful sense of humor. It just she could have been a stand up comedian. Her sense of timing and one liners and, and quick wit. I mean she 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 would just walk by and say something and they were just little things. It may be something happening on the court and you, you couldn't help it. You would just start laughing. And I mean, I agree with you. What is it about her? I don't know. I wish we could. I wish we could find a way to bottle it because I have never, never encountered anyone like that, and I know I won't ever again. I mean, she's had a bigger influence on me than anybody in my life, and that includes members of my own family. That says a lot. Did you ever have one of Coach Summit's meals? Oh yeah, she invited the media over for selection Sunday, which would become selection mm-hmm. Monday, and she would cook and um she'd have some some uh, some of her friends help her cook and I mean there was everything. My goodness. There was chicken and steak and salmon and vegetables and her famous jalapeno corn and she would uh make homemade ice cream and and I mean she would even say, If you leave my house hungry it's your fault <laughs> and she had to go thing, and you knew one thing you knew is do not get between the food and the players because when the food buffet table was open for everybody to start filling the plates, those players just made a beeline, and so of course the you know players are let them go through the line first, and Pat would often step away like any hostess, and everybody else ate first, but she also knew that she would soon have to go watch the show and do TV interviews, and she would try to get get some food in too but i mean she fed everybody uh, the team her staff the support staff the media the players i mean there there had to be a hundred people there how how has tennessee changed with her gone university i mean university as a whole but then of course get into bloody falls well, it, it was a tumultuous time when she when she stepped down because at that point the men the women's athletic department was no more. 
Right. And, th- and that happened, of course, right before her final season when Dave Hart became the AD after uh, Joan Cronin had served as interim AD. Joan Cronin was interim interim AD all through that summer, and then I believe Dave Hart officially came into place either late August or September. So you've got that shift. Then you've also got a lot going on administratively. There's been multiple since she retired. There's been two – Jimmy Cheek retired, and then there were two more chancellors. Now Donde Plowman is here and, and has stabilized that. Obviously, it went from Dave Hart to John Curry to Philip Fulmer. There's been a lot of – of change and and, and 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 that type of change doesn't lead to stability, and then you combine that with all the struggles of football, and 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 you know football that that drives the financial bus for every sport, right. and and Tennessee was having success. I mean they were winning games, they were getting they won SEC SEC regular season championship. They they did well in the SEC tournament. But they weren't getting to Final Fours. Now, of course, they weren't getting to Final Fours since 2008. I mean, they so they didn't make it in the last four seasons that Pat coached, too. Of course, we now realize Pat was sick during those seasons. Hmm. In fact, the early earliest of the Alzheimer's was beginning to appear in 07 and 08. I mean, she she literally won two national titles in the very early stages of this disease. And and I, as a personal note, I, my my mom has early onset dementia, so that might be another reason why I connect to Coach Summit, Lady Wall, et cetera, because because of that that tie. Also, do you think? And I'm very sorry because that's that's just that's so hard on on children, and so I just want to tell you I'm very sorry about that. Thank you. I appreciate it. It is, it is it's a struggle, but uh, just keep going forward. Do you think Holly Warlick um, got a fair shake as as a coach? As a, that's you know, a, that's a, a great question. Um, yes and no. I mean, she stepped into an impossible situation, and and not just replacing Pat, but Holly never got to grieve. I mean, mm-hmm. she, she was announced as the head coach on the same at the same press conference, sitting by Pat Summit, is when Pat Summit had to retire. So the saddest and happiest days of Holly's life are now intertwined. I mean, she didn't get the you know the introductory press conference and the you know the the excitement that comes around a new head coach i mean it's coming on the very same day that pat is forced to step down because of a brutal disease and she was out she, her and dean lockwood were out early the next morning to recruit there were there was no and and you know everyone has to grieve or find some peace and and holly right. had no time she, I mean, she, bam, they they had to get into because you talk about negative recruiting. They're trying to recruit this class of 2013, and at this point, they don't have a commit in the class. In fact, they've had a decommit out of the class, and it's it's April 2000, 2012, and those 2013s are going to sign in the fall, and Tennessee mm-hmm. doesn't have a class yet. So, I mean, her and Dean, and they're – they're now short two coaches because Mickey DeMoss headed to the Indiana Fever. Right. And I mean they they I don't they they hit the ground running and, and never stopped. And everything was you know doing it for Pat. You combine the fact that that Pat would be dead 4 years later. So Holly is trying to keep all this together and amid turmoil turmoil literally within the athletic department the academic side, nothing that was stable. This was also the the time when the various Title IX lawsuits were coming over alleged sexual assault. So Tennessee's in the headlines for that with with the football program, which, of course, ended up being settled uh, 
but nothing is in Holly's favor right now. You're trying to recruit amid those kind of headlines. And the woman that is your was your head coach, is your mentor, is your mother figure, has a terrible disease. The negative recruiting, I mean, we both know recruiting is negative. It was off the charts with with what was being said. You know, Holly's never never gonna do anything there. That program's going that, that program's going all the way downhill with Pat gone. You don't want to go there. I mean, just ugly. All these and, and that's the part that really makes me angry. Because so many of those coaches, the game is where it's at because of Pat. Your bank account is where it's at because of Pat. And and that's how you come back and recruit against her program when she is you know, barely stepping down from the podium at a position she held 38 years? Bobby, I guess you got to live with yourself if, that, if that's who you are, but I am just grateful I covered a program and still cover a program that doesn't that doesn't do that. That takes a takes a very high road when it comes to recruiting and has stayed true to Pat's principles of how she runs a program. So did Holly get a fair shake? Yeah, I mean yes and no. Was Holly ever in a fair situation? No. For one, Tennessee didn't pay what it should have paid. And okay, and and nor did it pay and assist their assistance what they should have paid. They lost Jolette Law to South Carolina, and then that was a good reason for that. Was of course that Jolette Law, Jolette Law's parents lived nearby in South Carolina. She was able to go home. South Carolina was also able to promote and pay her a lot more than Tennessee was, and those parts to me are an indication of. That's that's not what Pat's program was like. If Pat needed something, she could get it. And, and now we're in a to- totally different era. And part of that is the problems with football. I get that. There was there was revenue issues because when your football team is not doing well, that really affects your body. And that affects donors, ticket sales. It affects everything. Just a sale of gear. More people are going to buy T-shirts and hats and all the paraphernalia if the team's do, doing well. Team's not doing well, all those 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 mm-hmm. sales start going down. So there's there's so all kinds of a chain reaction. But then the bottom line also comes down to wins and Tennessee had had struggled in the in the NCAA tournament for a couple of years. They had injuries like I, I can't believe. I mean the the ones the one that's really hard to to even forget was in South Dakota when they beat Ohio State in the Sweet 16 and were going to face Syracuse and lost three starters to injury in that game. The point guard goes out with a concussion, and Andre Carter and Bashar Graves both suffer a brutal break of their hand. They they played in the Elite Eight game, but, I mean, they essentially had a cub a club on their hand trying to to pad it to because the bone I mean the bone just snapped and the stick it was actually sticking up through the skin on on Andrea's finger and uh they somehow gutted it out in that game. But you, you basically got a one arm post player and a one arm guard. So that they had that that is let's let's say they don't get injured and they beat Syracuse that's a Final Four, I believe. That would have been when were they in South Dakota, 2016. Yes. I mean, th- th- yeah. Th- I mean, that could change the the course of things. So, I mean, Philip Fulmer ended up doing what what he felt he needed to do for the program, and w- was it tough for Lady Vol fans? Yeah, nobody wanted that ending for Holly. This is someone who's who's from Knoxville. Most coaches, the school lets you go. You go home. You go away. I mean, for Holly, that was drive down the road. This is where she lives. This is where she went to high school. So it, it, everything, everything that made Tennessee so strong with the continuity and the, the longevity in Pat also made everything so hard when it fell apart with Pat. Have things improved? 
in the last year I or so? I think so. I, I think so. I mean, the, they're obviously, I mean, credit to, to Holly and her crew. They brought in that, that excellent class. I mean, credit to Kelly. She kept that class intact, which is not easy to do when you change head coaches. So they they kept those fr- – the freshmen stayed, and – they it's going to it's going to take some time because you get a new head coach and they do have to implement the things they want to focus on and the way they want to play and Kelly will need time to to get those systems in place and also the parity in the game Pat always wanted parity in the game and she's got it now she she got exactly what she wanted when when Tennessee was in the SEC in some of the heydays of, of Pat's career, there weren't there weren't but a couple teams that could really give Tennessee trouble. It, it, but now the SEC, top to bottom, I mean, you just never know. I mean, every team is is going to come at you, and even if it if it's a ten twelve point win, it's going to be a brutal one. You're going to come out of there banged up, and they're going to be bras. It's a very physical league. Extremely physical league, and it it takes uh it takes a lot out of you to play in it because I watch a lot of basketball and and it's the collisions that you hear courtside in the SEC, that, especially the ones that aren't called inside. It is just like Dean Lockwood said, this is a game for grown women, and so it, it it's a challenge. But um, I I think I think Tennessee will get back to to what fans expect and that's competing for championships in the SEC and across the country. But I think Tennessee's gonna have a lot of company along the way. There's a lot of teams that are a lot better. I mean look at Oregon. Look what they've done. It's just one example. I mean the the kids from Oregon that Tennessee kept getting, that pipeline from Oregon, Mercedes Russell and Jordan Reynolds yep. And Jamie mm-hmm. Nard, they probably don't leave Oregon if they had an Oregon and Oregon State doing so well like like they've been doing lately. So those those kind of those kind of recruits have a lot more reason to stay home now. Some want to get, want to get across the country. Mercedes Russell really wanted to, to move across the country. She wanted to explore a new area. So you'll you know that can still happen, but there's a, there's a lot of reasons for kids to. To look at other programs now. Look at, I mean, look at North Carolina. What what she's doing there? That's a sleeping giant of a program. And these top North Carolina kids keep leaving the state. Tamari right. Key, Sanaya Rivers. Well, who just who just changed that script? Tiani Key, Tamari's sister. She's going she's going to North Carolina. And then, I mean, look at what Duke just did. So the game is uh, the game is getting a lot more interesting, and from from a fan point of view, that is fantastic. Where where are things in terms of coverage for women's basketball today compared to just five years ago? The, the decline of newspapers has been a problem, and that's I mean that's true here in Knoxville. I mean, the newspapers have have let go so many positions across all de- uh, departments: local news, sports, business news. There is there right as of now, there is not a full time Lady Vols beat writer for the New Sentinel, and that's not criticism of them. That's the reality of where newspapers are. Mm-hmm. They 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 don't have the staff to to dedicate to a to a full beat like that. I never would have thought we would have reached that point, especially with the Pat Summit program, and maybe maybe it can somehow get back. There's got to be more TV coverage. That's getting better. Social media has helped because it amplifies a lot of voices, but I still think the coverage of women's sports is inadequate, and a lot of that means changing the way newsrooms look and the way production rooms look and who's making the decisions. There needs to be more women at that table. There needs to be more women of color in much more visible positions at that table. Once we can make changes at the root of the issue, I think the coverage will get better, but that, that's going to take time. <laughs> 
how has, well, I'll phrase it differently. With the cancellation of the of college basketball the tournament, you and I, you were going to be recognized for an award at the uh, in New Orleans at the Women's Final Four. That did not take place because I was looking forward to attending that ceremony and all that. So, where does that where does that stand? Have you received the award in the mail? How how what is give me an update on that? And of course, let everyone know what the award is as well. Yeah, the the Mel Mel Greenberg Media Award, uh, named for Mel Greenberg, who the, who founded the AP poll for women's basketball. Um, and was the award's initial recipient, I think 1991 was the first. And then it's been awarded in subsequent years to uh, someone who promotes the game of, ba- of women's basketball. And I was nominated by a former beat writer who had covered Old Dominion, and we had crossed paths when Tennessee and Old Dominion would play. This was back in the day, of course, when Wendy Larry was there and Pat was coaching and she nominated me. So I, and then I got the call that, that I'd been selected for Mel Greenberg and I was absolutely, totally surprised. I mean, because most of what I do, I, I feel like, you know, I just do it behind the scenes and I'm not, I mean, I, I, people around here know I cover the Lady Vols, but you didn't. Really, I don't really think about it on like a national perspective, and so it was humbling, and 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 I was very honored, and I was very looking forward to going to New Orleans to pick it up. Just, I mean, not just to meet, you know, see everybody in the basketball community, but New Orleans, what a fun place to be in April. And of course, COVID changed everything. I recently got an email from the WBCA and which handles the award and uh asking for my address. So I, I suspect it will come in the mail at some point. I don't I don't have it yet. Okay. Well I'll congratulate you again for winning it. I sent you a, a tweet or direct message when I heard that you were the recipient because uh, it's a big deal. I think you you deserve it. I appreciate that. And I was looking forward to seeing you. How has COVID-19 impacted you uh, professionally, personally, at all, if at all, other than that? I, we, at where I work uh, in downtown Knoxville, we went to full work at home in uh, mid-March. We were about a week ahead of everybody. And we have not been back. Uh, Tennessee cases, at least in East Tennessee, uh, they're still spiking and we're going in the wrong direction right now in terms of positive tests. And and so we are still work from home with uh, not sure when that's going to end. It, we have, uh, it gets evaluated every month. And so right now we know it's definitely through July and we'll evaluate it again before August. So professionally, it's affected me in that I no longer go to an office. But what I do as a writer editor, what I did was just pack up my desk and my docking station and my really huge monitor. That's that's really nice because it's big and I can really I can see well to edit on it. And brought it all home. Fortunately, because of my Lady Vol coverage, I had always had really high speed internet, so I didn't have connection issues. I know some people have had tremendous connection issues working from home. I've not had to deal with that. I limit my trips to one a month, once a month to get groceries and medication that I take and mm-hmm. basically um, become a hermit. And as a writer, uh, a hermit came naturally to me. So uh, it has really not had any personal effect on me. Uh, I have actually taken taken to it quite well. Um and I, I, I'm perfectly content working working from home. Do I look forward to seeing people again, my coworkers? Absolutely. Do I miss sports? Absolutely. Normally, I spend the summers going to Smokies baseball games, and that, of course, has not happened. So, personally, there are there are many things that I miss. But am I especially impacted by it? 
I mean, no, my my life and and work has continued as, as if it as if it didn't happen. Well, Houston and state of Texas, going the, we are in the wrong direction. <laughs> this is not going. We are in the wrong direction. Um, do you think what is what is your gut tell you? Will there be college football, Power Five football in the fall? I think it's doubtful at this point. I know the SEC has already postponed volleyball, soccer, and cross country through the end of August. And I mean, the football opener is supposed to be first week of September. Uh, that seems in doubt. At some conferences, as you know, have already football will be conference games only, no non-conference games. Is the SEC headed that way? Most people think yes. I'm not sure we see college sports in 2020 unless we somehow reverse this course we're on completely. I I could see sports returning in January if we get through the fall. Because we're going to have COVID and flu seasons overlapping here come, come October, November, December. So I'm not, I was hopeful back in May because it seemed like we have time. Am I hopeful in mid, what are we, mid-July? I I don't know. And unless unless we we take a tremendous step in the right direction, and, and it's not like it's just a Texas problem or a Tennessee problem. These teams have to travel. Right. This, we, I mean, it, it, it has to be a problem nowhere for for this to happen. And I think people are going to watch the pro teams very co- closely, see what happens with baseball and the WNBA and the NBA. But those are professional athletes. They're paid to do this, and, and they can be put in a bubble, and everything is restricted. You can't do that with college students. You can't tell them to live in a dorm. And never go out for four months except for class and the gym. These are not professional athletes. And I mean, the biggest question is a moral one is it going to be safe? Can we keep these players safe? And if the answer is no, then you don't play, period. Do you think there will be a college basketball season if it's just a conference only starting in January? I think that would have to be on the table. I mean, basketball is one where we have a little more time because it play starts in November. Now, the players have to have time to, to be in shape and to, and to work out. And so that could I, – I don't see a lot of traveling. I know Tennessee is set to go to Mexico for Thanksgiving. I don't see how that happens. I don't see how you have international travel right now for a team. So I do think – if it comes, there could be schedule modifications. I know Stanford is set to come to Knoxville. Well, if, if Tennessee's still and in, in, in trending in the wrong direction, I mean, I'm not trying to speak for Stanford, but does Stanford fly their team to Tennessee? I don't know. There's just – and none of us know. I mean, we all want that crystal ball that tells us where we'll be. But and all we can take is the information we have at hand, and I personally don't like where the numbers are going, and so I am I am concerned that that it would not be safe. Do we have time to correct by November, December? We'll we'll see. Uh, but I would think a, a SEC only season would would have to be on the table at some point. And you mentioned it because uh, I think Houston and Tennessee are in the, the Cancun uh, challenge, around, and that's in November around Thanksgiving. Uh, I think that's the, the Cougs are in that in that same. Yeah, event. they're they're in Cancun. That's it. I don't um, I don't see that taking place. Uh, I think. Yeah, uh, I don't. Coach Huey mentioned that that has been moved to Florida, which I'm, okay, how does it make it better? <laughs> I mean, okay, it's yeah. Cancun to Florida, yeah. You know, that, that a resort in Mexico yeah. may actually be safer, but um, and do you fly kids? And 
I mean, the, and the amount of testing you have to do, like, I mean, I, I was asking, we we're talking about football with, with a friend. I'm like, okay, let's say your quarterback and a lineman test positive. Well, what, what are the, they have to isolate, and then you do contact testing, and I mean, you you could end up with your starting lineup decimated. Maybe they're not sick, but they're popping positive for COVID. 19 and that now you got to quarantine them for two weeks so you're going to go two weeks without say your quarterback or your defensive back and they can't practice they can't be around the team now i realize injuries happen so it's not like it's it's not unusual for a player to be unavailable but it is unusual for a player to be unavailable because they tested positive in a pandemic right being injured injuries even though they seem at some times and they happen in bunches to be contagious, they're not contagious. COVID-19, no. coronavirus, is <laughs> contagious. There, there is a big difference there. Uh, Maria Cornelius, well, okay. Since we were not able to be in New Orleans, is there a chance, if there is a college basketball season of some sort, is there a chance that you'd be in San Antonio next uh, April. Yes, because um, I don't have enough to do, as you can tell. Because uh, <laughs> I also do a lot of volunteer work and board service. The uh, Women's Basketball Hall of Fame asked me in April or May, it was in the spring, that I have no idea what day it is or what day of the week it is now, hardly at all. They just It's been one long day since mid-March. But they, the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame has asked me to join their board, which I have done. Mm -hmm. I'm on the board now. So part of that would involve activities at the Final Four. So even – I would hope to be there because the Lady Vols are in the Final Four. But if that were to not happen, I would be there in capacity as a board member for the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame. Congratulations on that. Thank it you. is on my bucket list to uh, visit – the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame. I get the email. Oh, oh yeah, you'd love it. Uh, so I, I do want to do that. Um, I won't put a timetable on it, but soon. Let's just say let's say soon. So yeah, I'm looking. For, I'm, I do want to do it, and I and some of my friends who are fans of women's basketball, we want to do that as well. So we might just um, do that. Make it you know, week of it, something like that. So that would be That'd be fantastic. Be, well let me know so we can meet meet there and meet downtown and, and get together. For sure, because uh when was it? Final four was in Tennessee where not too long ago. What what city was it? Na it was in it's Nashville. Running, in, in Nashville. It's all running together to me. I wanna say gosh, what year was that? Because uh Pats last season, they were in Denver, right? So was it Nashville that was, in 2012? That was 12, so yeah. Denver was 12. Yeah, 13 or 14. There's like a, even the years are running together, but it's been in Nashville. Yeah, Obviously, me, me back too, in 1990, yeah. it was in Knoxville, but um, mm -hmm. they they don't do uh, campus Final Fours anymore. So, but um, yeah. yeah, it's, it's, One uh, last it's, thing uh, yeah. You, you would enjoy I, it. I'll let you go. Hall of Fame and um, see Pat's statue and all of that. One last thing before I let you go. What are your thoughts on the switch of uh, semifinals finals to be now Friday, Sunday, but final, women's final four? I like it better. I, I think I think the Saturday, Tuesday is difficult for people who are work because it, you, it, it's just an odd time to try to to try to take vacation. You got to spread it around two different weeks. I think. I think it, uh, a Tuesday night game is just I, – I know they're trying to, to separate it from the men, but people who love basketball love basketball. I'm, I'm going to watch it all no matter what. I think the, the Friday-Sunday is, is, is much more accommodating of fans, and, and I like having the championship game on a Sunday. I also think – they should move selection Sunday back to Sunday 
and not Monday because fans are trying to make travel plans and you don't even know till late Monday night where where your team is going. And they may they may play within a couple you know two or three days and there is no reason why they can't do the women's announcement show on on Sunday. Do it Sunday afternoon. I mean, set the, the there's a couple conferences that are still playing their their tournament. Have make sure those games, you know, end by by four o'clock or three o'clock. Of course, that, that would be Eastern time. Yeah, but or, or or shift them to where they would end on Saturday. But I think a Sunday selection show that these people say, what difference does 24 hours make? It, it makes quite a bit. And it also is much more beneficial for the teams because then they start Monday knowing where they're playing, where they're going, who they need to scout for, and the fans have that Sunday night to get their travel plans in order. Agreed, because it, that that one day does make a difference in terms of if you're going to drive, you're going to fly, where you're going to fly, mm-hmm. how much does it cost, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I got to get off work, you know, you know. Okay, now, oh, we're on the Sunday-Tuesday format. That means I've got to get off work next week. You know, it's it, – and, and so accommodate your fans. That, that that selection Monday does nothing to accommodate your fans or your team. And I know they want to separate it and give it its own own night. It, it doesn't need its own night. Cake softball does theirs at 10 o'clock at night, and everybody you – know, people still tune in. Do it late Sunday night if you need to, but g- give people that time to get to get their ducks in a row and get ready to to hit the road. Well, you Cornelius, thank you very much for for doing this agreeing to uh speak with me for this podcast and I really enjoyed it. Um we may have to do it again. Absolutely. Uh, talk I'll it. talk to you anytime. You you just let me know and I'm I'm willing to pop on. We didn't even talk about Kara. We, we can save Kara for another I know. I, 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 had, I had that in mind, too. But, uh, that's a heck of a hire. That's... That is one heck of a hire. And I'm, I'm very happy for, for, for Kara. Um, I've, I met her. We, we participated in an um, uh, NC mock selection exercise a few years ago, and we sat side by side. <laughs> so listened to her talk. It was me, Kara. Rebecca Lobo. Um, so it was. I, I learned a lot. <laughs> yeah, like that. I bet. Yeah, I bet that I, she's. I learned and laughed really a lot. Yeah. Basketball mind, and um, I think I think Duke made an outstanding hire, just outstanding. And I say you have any life, inside scoop on Tar Heel. People don't oh, know really? realize I'm a lifelong. Yeah, I'm a lifelong Tar Heel, and even I will say Duke oh, made Maria. an excellent hire. I know. Oh Maria. See, I'm I, a Duke see, fan, I keep Maria. it hidden. Oh. I, Oh, Marie, I'm a Duke fan. We got to talk about this. Oh, oh yeah, come we'll, on, Maria. We'll have to devote a whole show <laughs> to Duke, North Carolina. Oh my goodness! Thank you but very even much. Even I can see this. the brilliance of that hire and at Duke. So oh, yeah. you know, well, well, well played, Duke. Very well played. I really appreciate it, and I look forward to speaking with you again. And uh, you keep in touch, Maria Cornelius. Take care. All right, Chris. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye.